Every day is a poop story here. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Ross Safari. Hello, and welcome to the Ross Safari Podcast. I'm putting this episode together the night after opening my current production of Million Dollar Quartet at Dutch Apple Dinner Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The show has been going incredibly well, and if you're anywhere near the area, you should definitely check it out. Today, though, I'm taking you on a trip to Chattanooga, Tennessee, home of the world-famous Chattanooga Choo Choo. Yes, it really exists, and is currently a hotel where I stayed when I played Chattanooga on tour. The Tennessee Aquarium, and, of course, the Chattanooga Zoo, where this episode is coming to you from. I'm really excited about it, as it's a little different than my usual Keeper Chat episodes. But first, I want to remind you to check out at Rossafari on all the social media channels. My Insta just hit over 4,000 followers, and I'm so excited about that. Also, don't forget to find some adorable stickers and magnets and such at rossafari.redbubble.com. And, of course, you can support the podcast by visiting www.patreon.com slash rossafari. Today, I'm going to be bringing you three chats with zookeepers. When I approached the Chattanooga Zoo about doing an episode from there, they were incredibly gracious and willing to accommodate me, but were also concerned that a long-form interview would take too much time away from a staff member trying to complete their work. As such, I got to do three quick interviews, which actually made for an incredibly fun day for me. I spoke to Amy, a hoofstock keeper who talked about the new giraffe family at the zoo, Kate, who works with the Cala Trickids, and Betsy, who took me behind the scenes with two of the red pandas at the zoo, which I know you are all incredibly shocked to hear. Along the way, these keepers also shared their own stories with me and hit upon other animals such as dikers, snow leopards, and Bali mina birds. And yes, three interviews means this episode contains not one, not two, but three poop stories. You're welcome. All three of these interviews took place inside the habitat areas where the keepers work, so I used my handheld recorder and encountered some small extra noises from the animals and machinery, and of course we were all wearing masks, so you'll notice the sound quality varies from interview to interview. However, being in those areas also meant I got to have a lot of fun experiences, including seeing the giraffes from above and below, doing some really cool up-close photos with golden lion tamarins and marmosets, and feeding emperor tamarins, cottontop tamarins, and Avi, the adorable red panda. Before I get to the interviews, I wanted to let you know that I'm releasing this episode today in part to celebrate International Red Panda Day, which was this past Saturday, September 19th, 2020. You've heard me and my guests talk about the Red Panda Network on this podcast a lot, but Betsy does a particularly impressive job discussing this incredible organization and the awesome work they do, not only to help save the Red Panda, but to help improve the lives of the people who come in contact with this incredible species. For more information and to make a donation, please visit www.redpandanetwork.org. 
One final thing, on a way less serious note, I want you to explain the title of this week's episode. Calatrichids are a family of small New World monkeys, including tamarins, lion tamarins, and marmosets. One of my favorite types of tamarin is the cotton top tamarin, which has amazing and adorable hair. Well, it just so happens that on my current gig, all of us in the cast have become obsessed with the song Cotton Top by Carl Perkins, one of the members of the Million Dollar Quartet. We keep talking about it, joking about it, and playing it on an endless loop. I took one of my favorite lyrics from the song and made it the title for this episode, since it also applies to one of the animals we talk about. So, this episode goes out to Nathan, the guitarist who composed and recorded guitars and bass for the theme song for this podcast, Stephen, Jacob, Trevor, Michael, Taylor, and Justin, my cast. It is so great to be creating incredible art and music with y'all again. Okay, here is my interview with Amy at the Chattanooga Zoo. Hit that lick now, Cotton Top. So, Amy, um, tell me a little bit about who you are and where we are. Um, so, my name is Amy, and we are at the Chattanooga Zoo. When did you get the, uh, the giraffe building here up and running? So, the giraffes got here in May. Um, so they've been here for about three months now. This is a brand new building, brand new yard. They've never had giraffes here at the Chattanooga Zoo. I know the whole community has been behind the zoo and getting them here. So it was very exciting when they first opened it. Everybody was super excited to finally meet the giraffes. That's awesome. And um, for those listening, uh, you have to see when you're pulling into Chattanooga, there is a billboard that says, we needed a little more room. And the billboard is a giraffe, but it only goes up to the top of the neck. And then they added a little sign above it that is just the giraffe's head, uh, which I just think is is adorable and really great marketing. So you found that a lot of the people here are very excited? Yes. Um, we've had a lot of guests. They have been in the works for building this exhibit for, I want to say, over five years. Um, and so the community has really been excited to um, finally meet these guys. That's awesome. Um, before we meet your giraffes, let's meet you a little bit. Uh, so you are a hoofstock keeper here. Would that be the, the title? Correct. Yep. Hoofstock keeper. Okay. And you take care of giraffes and anything else? Yes. I also take care of our blue dikers. We have a male and a female pair. That's awesome. Uh, if you guys don't know what dikers are, look them up. They are adorable. So what brought you to the idea of zookeeping? Like when you were growing up, was this always a goal? It actually wasn't. Um, but I did go to the zoo a lot um, in my hometown when I was young and I really loved animals. Um, so my first job was actually as a fish hatchery um, attendant. So I hatched a lot of fish and um, I just learned that I really love taking care of animals and that's kind of how I got into zookeeping. That's awesome. And what zoo was it that you, like, where did you come from? I started at the Caldwell Zoo in Tyler, Texas. Um, not a lot of people have heard about it, but you should look it up. It's an awesome zoo. Um, I worked at Milwaukee County Zoo, also another awesome zoo, and then I came here, Chattanooga. That's incredible. So um, all three of those zoos, places I've never been, except for obviously today in Chattanooga, um, I've been to 135 zoos and aquariums, but I haven't made it to those yet, so I will I will definitely check those out. That's really awesome. Um, and what, uh, what was your background? What was your education like? I have a bachelor's degree in wildlife science from North Dakota State. Okay, very cool. And that has served you well? It sure has, yeah. That's awesome. So tell me about uh, the giraffes here. What is, is it a family, a herd? What would the terminology be? 
So we have a bachelor herd here at the zoo. Um, we do have a father-son pair. George and Hardy Star are father-son. George is the dad. Hardy Star is the little baby boy. And then we also have Porter. Cool. And uh, tell me a little bit about just their individual personalities, what they're like, and, and any weird uh, quirks or traits that they have. So George is the oldest. He's going to be six here in about a week. Um, he's definitely our most laid-back chill giraffe. He's super excited about training, very interactive. Um, Porter is, we call him our sassy pants. <laughs> he definitely has an attitude. Um, if you feed him the wrong way or if he doesn't like what you're feeding him, he'll throw his head back and he'll walk away from you um, until you get something better to offer him. And Hardy Star has been our shy guy. He is still coming out of his shell. He's getting a lot more interactive with us and affectionate with us, but it's taken him a little bit longer than the other two. Cool. That's uh, really neat to know. I love how all animals seem to have such different personalities. Yeah, it's definitely. just so cool. Um, so you were telling me before that one of the giraffes is, is small. And, and tell me a little bit about that and how small is your small giraffe? So George, we would consider a small male. Being full-grown, he's only about 16 feet tall, which is um, usually about what the full-grown females are. So he is definitely a small guy. He was a twin at birth, so inherently he's just going to be a little bit smaller. We do expect that Porter and Hardy Star will surpass him in the future. Um, but George is pretty good at holding his own. He is the boss right now, and I think he'll hold that title. Very cool. And I want you guys to picture this. So Amy and I are walking through the giraffe house, and um, we're on floor level. I'm looking up at this 16-foot creature, and I'm six foot tall, but just massive, massive. And Amy just very casually goes, oh, he's so small. And uh, we both kind of had a good laugh about that. So yeah, I guess uh, it's a little different when you're a human, but uh, it's cool that he is the leader and seems to, you know, probably will hold on to that. That's very cool. Um, so what is the... Uh, what subspecies of giraffes do we have here? So Hardy Star and George are both reticulated giraffes. Um, Porter is a mix between Rothschild or Nubian and a reticulated giraffe. So he has a different patterning than the other two. His coat is a lot lighter than George and Hardy. Um, that's one of the best ways to tell him apart from the other two. Okay, very cool. And um, they are considered endangered in the wild? Yes. Um, so giraffes are endangered. Currently, there um, is four different species of giraffe. New research has come out. Um, before, they thought that there was one species and nine subspecies. They've since changed that to be four distinct species. Um, so, yes, all, all species are endangered right now. Interesting. I find taxonomy to be so weird and confusing sometimes. And I think it's just because as we learn more, we're refining what we, we know and call things. But... Um, the thing that always cracks me up about it is that it actually doesn't matter to them. We're defining things, but it's just for our own understanding, which I find amusing. Um, so, yeah, very cool. And what types of stuff are being done for uh, draft conservation? So the Draft Conservation Foundation um, over in Africa is doing a ton of research. Um, they were the ones that discovered the four different species. They're doing a lot of um, relocation with giraffes to hopefully start new herds in different areas. Um, they are by far and large the best conservation tool that giraffes have over in Africa. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, so one quick question that I like to ask is, tell me something that you find to be true about zookeepers. 
numbers, not all, but, you know, the majority, that you would say the general public might be surprised by? We are definitely perfectionists, and we all have a little bit of OCD in us. Um, in our day-to-day -day life, we're taking care of a ton of different animals. We have to keep medications, food logs. We have so much to keep on our mind um, that we definitely have to be a little bit of a perfectionist um, to keep everything going smoothly. Cool. Thank you. Um, would you be willing to tell me about your dikers quick while we have another minute here? Yeah, so we have um, two blue dikers. We have Branch and Poppy. They also got here um, this summer, so they are brand new to Chattanooga as well. Blue dikers are the smallest of the diker species, so they weigh right now about eight pounds at full grown. Um, they're super cute. As all dikers, they're very skittish, um, so anytime something frightens them, the name diker comes from the African word diver. So they will dive into any coverage that they have. So in their exhibit, they have a hut that is their home um, that they definitely know is their safe space. Very cool. Uh, is there any plan to breed them or um, are they just going to be like, you know, chilling here uh, together for a while? So they are approved by the SSP to be a breeding pair. So we have seen a little bit of breeding behavior from the two of them. Um, so we are hoping for a baby in the future. Okay, very cool. Who is this? This is Porter. He is definitely a very curious boy. He likes to know what's going on at all times in all places, so he is the one that wanders around the most often. Yeah, for, for those listening, you can't see this, but as she was talking about the dikers, a head just popped out of the giraffe barn, quickly followed by the rest of Porter, and he was very clearly looking at us and kind of wondering what's going on, and I lit up like a Christmas tree because that was just adorable. Um, okay, so my final question that I have for you, and it's uh, a Rossafari standard, but um, tell me your, your best disgusting story. I like to call it a, a poop story. It doesn't have to be poop, but it usually is. Um, but just something that shows me just how much you love putting up with these animals. So this isn't necessarily the most disgusting, but actually today we were um, doing public feedings with our giraffe. And George sneezed all over my face, and I had giraffe boogers all over my face, and I just had to grin and bear it because there was people out there that were um, feeding Porter. So, uh, yeah, definitely zookeeping is a gross job, but it's something that um, all zookeepers are passionate about their job, and we are willing to put up with the disgusting for how awesome our animals are. Ugh, I love that. I am going to, I lied now because you mentioned the public feeding. So I'm going to ask one more question. There are people out there who say that kind of thing is wrong and you're exploiting animals and stuff like that. And it's, I know that's not true. Tell my listeners your perspective on why that's not true and the awesome effect that a draft feeding can have. So um, draft feedings with the public is our chance to talk to the visitors about our giraffes. Um, typically you don't have those experiences, so they connect visitors with the animal in an up close and personal view. Um, so visitors get to feed the giraffes lettuce. They are eye level with the giraffes, which, you know, they're 16 feet tall. It doesn't happen very often. So it's the zookeeper's chance to portray the message of the giraffes to the public. Um, and it gives the public a chance to form a bond with the animals in a way that they wouldn't have the experience otherwise. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. 
As I mentioned in that interview, it is really incredible to stand right at the base of a giraffe. Our next interview comes from the Calatricid building with all those adorable little New World monkeys I mentioned before. There is a moment where you will hear both Kate and I burst out laughing with no explanation. As she was walking me from door to door to introduce me to each species, the monkeys were constantly curious and checking us out. At one point, the entire family crowded right around the window trying to see what was going on, which was hilarious and adorable, and led to the laughs you'll hear in a few minutes. Okay, here is my interview with Kate. All right, so we have moved on from the giraffes, and we are now in a building with some tiny New World monkeys. And uh, I'm going to be talking to a zookeeper named Kate here. So, Kate, tell us who you are and uh, what exactly you do. I am Kate Warner. I take care of all the little calatricids in this building. Calatricids, as you know, is just a fancy way of describing tamarins and marmosets. Amazing. And, um... Have you always wanted to be a primate keeper? Was that the goal? No. I first wanted to be a big cat keeper. (laughs) You missed. (laughs) Yeah, big miss. (laughs) So what led you to primates? Um, I was shadowing one time. I was shadowing the keeper who was working with our South American animals, and she went to take care of our jaguars and left me with what back then we just had cotton. (laughs) So I went and took care of our to go in there and feed our cotton tops and they looked at me they studied me for a while they didn't know anything about me and I was just holding a mealworm just you know waiting just to see if he he would come down and ever so slowly he gingerly kind of came down and then he got right up and then he put that little tiny hand in my hand and he tilted his head and he very gently took the worm and from then on it was it was primates it's like cats was a cat (laughs) that's amazing um, I actually recently had an experience where I got to uh, feed and pet some lemurs, and it was my first time getting hands-on with any primates, and um, yeah, kind of the same thing. I was always, ah, I like primates, mm-hmm. but they're chip, but hanging out with some lemurs, my eyes were so big, and I was yeah. so excited. Yeah, I got choked up. Yeah, I totally yeah. get that. Um, describe your mask for us quickly. Describe the mask? Okay, yeah, it's got marmosets all over. It's actually a picture of our marmosets that we have. I took a picture of it and put it on a mask. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. That's it's a so family cool. picture. <laughs> and it looks like everybody's family picture with somebody not looking at the camera and other people looking away. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty solid. I love that. So, Very yeah. cool. So um, we're standing in this building, and I am just surrounded by marmosets and tamarins, and it is awesome. Um, but you were saying that this building actually tells a story. So go ahead and explain that to us. Okay, when we first started this building, we knew we were going to add to our collection. We were going to get a whole bunch of different tamarins and marmosets because they're a big draw. Everybody loves the cute little monkeys. And certainly we want to showcase that. But there is a darker side. These animals have a story to tell. And that story is what's going on in the wild. That story is habitat loss. That story is the pet trade and what's happening and what it is doing to the populations of these animals. So that's why over here you start with what looks like the lush green rainforest and then you work your way all the way around towards the end of the building. That's when you're going to see a cityscape and that's actually a picture of Manaus where the pied tamarind is from. Very interesting. That's a really cool way to um, bring that story to life in a in a zoo so uh that's really awesome um how much how much planning and how much thought went into that 
Quite a lot. We actually had a whole team of us that were working on this for, for over a year, for quite some time, trying to plan this out. And that's one thing that I just love so much about what y'all do. Um, the thought and effort and a whole team coming together just for these little little monkeys. I'm just looking at them now and they're just, they're cute and they're adorable. But like the thought that goes into that and the effort that goes into that is just incredible. So uh, thank you for that. That's very cool. Thank you. Um, now let me ask you about some of who we have here. Okay. Tell me about your people a little bit. Okay, let's see. We can start over here. Um, that looking in the window right now, that is, he's chattering. That's Fitz. And then his brother, Sid, both of them are from Chicago's Lincoln Park Zoo. They are brothers. So, and then over here, we have pretty much everybody's favorite. How can you not love the emperors with their little mustache? Um, their original names were Luke and Avril, but we got to know their personalities and we wanted to change it up a little bit. So, a former keeper came up with the idea. I wanted to go with the Lorax theme, but there aren't any names in there. So, she came up with the idea um, Salvador Dolly. So, we named him Sal and her Dolly, and it's spelled D O L L Y. Nice. So, that's Sal and Dolly. And over here, we have our golden lion, Tamarins. That is Bacante, their son. Um, he just turned two. And then back there, you have Caliente and then the dad, Fuego. So nice. there's a theme going yep, on. Yep, yeah, I got that. We have six Joffrey's marmosets in here. So lots of them. So we have right there, that is Skylar. Um, I call her Queen Skylar, ruler of marmosets, spider of keepers. <laughs> Because that's what she does. Um, and just as a side note, as soon as um, Skylar's name was said, she came right over and checked out what was going on. These are very cool, very curious animals. They are, indeed. And that is Fiero up there, one of her younger brothers, doing the head tilt. Yep. So, yeah, the rest of them seem to be outside. Because that's another thing that about that is cool about these exhibits is they have an indoor option and an outdoor option. So the animal can choose where they want to be. There so, you go. And then here we have our family. <laughs> 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 they are very curious. Very. So very that's Nico and that's Mateo. Um, they are twins. They're brothers. And then their mother, that is their mom right there, Maggie. And then they have a sister named Trixie, and Trixie's twin, Tinker, yeah, there's, there's Trixie, Tinkerbell, and she used to have a little bit of squabbles. So it, it ended up that she went to the Caldwell Zoo to start her own family. So, okay. And also, Maggie's had other offspring, so Maggie's actually a great-grandmother now. Oh, so, wow. yeah. Very so, fancy. Yeah. Very cool. So, and then we finish off with Pied Tamarins, um, and here <laughs> we have <laughs> Dudley. That is Dudley, and then his mom, Zafra, I don't know if she'll make an appearance, but she lives in here, and you can see the city. That's what we were going right. for. That's um, so actual cool. picture of Manaus. So Very there's cool. Zafra. Oh, hey. So, yeah. Very cool. And um, one thing that I need to point out here as we're doing all of this is that, um, oh, hello, um, every, every single monkey was identified by name, by look, no sign, no reading. You you truly know every one of these, don't you? Yes, yeah. How can you tell them apart so easily? That is a good question, and that's I have trouble articulating how I can tell them apart. I can I can just tell. Okay. Um, for example, Miko. 
the way his hair, he's one of our cotton tops, he looks like he has a mullet. <laughs> um, it's kind of short in the front, long in the back. So that's one way to tell Miko. Maggie, um, the mother cotton top, she always has a worried mom look. Um, so, yeah. That's um, awesome. So it's all just little Yeah, and Skylar is always, she always looks grumpy. <laughs> She's scared. So, yeah. Surveying That's amazing. Kingdom. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so what do you, uh, what, what is the dietary um, nutrition plan like? Well, they are omnivores, so that means they're going to eat a little bit of everything. So they do get the Supreme canned marmoset diet, and we sub supplement that with vegetables. We used to use fruits and vegetables, but our nutritionist decided that the vegetables were causing, excuse me, the fruit was causing too much sugar, had too much sugar in it, because the fruits that we grow are genetically grown to be sweeter because people have a sweet tooth. So the fruits that they would encounter in the wild are more closely related to the vegetables that we eat. So they do get fruit, but it's only used for enrichment and for training purposes. So a typical diet for them would be their marmoset diet, carrots or sweet potatoes, broccoli, kale. We've, it's been a bit of a struggle because they don't like their greens sometimes. They're like <laughs> little kids and they'll throw their broccoli on the floor. So yeah, it's a never-ending battle. Oh, that's amazing! Very, very cool. Um, what is the um, conservation status of, of the various uh, New World monkeys here? For the most part, all of them are critically endangered, with the exception of the marmosets and the emperor tamarind. They are our least concerned. Oh wow! Okay, that's yeah. actually kind of nice to know. Yeah, I feel like on this podcast. Uh, Everyone I talked to is just like, oh, yeah, these guys are all going to disappear soon. Yeah, so. and, and the pied tamarind actually has the unfortunate distinction of being the most critically endangered primate in all of South America. They have now surpassed the golden lion tamarind. Wow. Do you happen to know offhand, like, a rough estimate of how many are in the wild? That is a good question. Scientists kind of go back and forth. Um, I know that when I was... Cause I, it was my dream to see a pied tamarind in the wild. So I went to Manaus on a pilgrimage to see the pied tamarind in the wild. I saw nary a pied tamarind. My tour guide said he used to see them all the time. He doesn't see them anymore. So if that gives you any idea. No, yeah, totally. That's uh, oh, that's heartbreaking. That's it's always my fear. I want to go to Nepal on mm -hmm. a Red Pando Eco trip. And um, I'm just I, I'm so afraid I would spend that money and go. And I'm sure you had an amazing time. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw lots of other cool things. I saw tamanduas, I saw tapers, so yeah, all sorts of cool stuff. All of the cool tea animals, so that's very cool. Um, was that a conservation trip, or was that a vacation? Or, oh, cool, tell a little me about bit of that. both. A little bit of both. It was a conservation vacation type thing that I've been wanting to do for forever, so I finally got to do it. Very cool. Awesome. Um, so how did you get into zookeeping? Was this something you always wanted to do? or Yes, it was, but I kind of got there indirectly because I wish I had taken the path that my colleagues, where they went straight into science. I got distracted in college and didn't know what I wanted, so I sort of meandered here and there and ended up with a, a major that is not science. I do have a four-year degree, but it's not in science. Um, I used to volunteer at our local nature center, and then I worked as a or I volunteered here, and then I started working at summer camps, and then did clerical work here, and just sort of worked my way up, and then got into the education department, and then I worked my way into the keeper department. Um, That's actually incredible and really rare. Good for you. 
Well, thank you. I've also been going back to school taking classes through the Animal Behavior Institute. Um, Tell me about that a little bit. I've never heard of that. Um, they do a lot of cool classes. They and they they streamline it. They have zoo and aquarium certi- certifications. They also have, um, I think, wildlife rehab. You can get marine mammal training. They do a lot of neat stuff, and it, it's very interactive. It's not just random, where you just send your answers in and know. I mean, it's, it's the teachers work with you. I mean, you're held accountable. You have assignments and exams. So it, it's it's been worth it. I'm happy I'm doing it. That's really cool. I've, I've thought about going back to school for an advanced degree in something to do with animals. Like I said, I don't work with animals, but also I just love them. And now I have this podcast going and stuff. So I will definitely check them out. Yeah. Um, speaking of plugs, are there any uh, conservation organizations or anything that you would like to give a plug to? Yes. Um, Proyecto Titi, which is Project Tamarin, started by Dr. Ann Savage a hero of mine. She's the one who I believe that if she did not do what she did, Cotton Tops would not be here today. Wow. So yeah, she works. I don't know if she's still there, but I know that she worked for Disney Animal Kingdom for quite a while. I think she was their director of conservation there. And I think that's something a lot of people don't know. Um, You know, Disney has Animal Kingdom and it's actually a legit conservation organization and a a zoo and they, they are... Very good. They are not a theme park, although they are also a theme park, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's a fun theme park, but it has a purpose. Which is, is amazing. It's kind of what all zoos are trying to be. Exactly. Very cool. Um, any last words or anything else before we get to my favorite question? <laughs> I, I think we're ready for your favorite question. <laughs> all right. Hit me with your poop story. A poop story. Well, I don't think there's a day that goes by where I don't get pooped on by something. <laughs> So, I mean, every day is a poop story here, especially when you work with teeny tiny arboreal monkeys. Um, Something is going to go to the bathroom on you, and it's usually at the worst possible time. Um, I've worn, am I allowed to say diarrhea? I've worn more diarrhea in my hair than I care to mention. (laughs) I can clear out a store so fast. (laughs) Oh, amazing. I love that. Every every day is a poop story. It's a pretty great quote. Well, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. (laughs) Did you hear that chittering at the end of that interview? I'm not going to lie. Those little monkeys got to me big time. Also, I love that Kate has a different story than so many of the other keepers I have encountered on this journey so far. She really earned her position entirely through hard work and a love for her animals, beating out people with a better formal education in order to get the job. Kudos to Kate for earning her dream job in a unique way that shows exactly how perfect she is for her position. Now, we move on to the final interview with Betsy, keeper of Avi and Willa, the Red Pandas, at the Chattanooga Zoo. Okay, so my journey through the Chattanooga Zoo has continued on to the Himalayas section. And for all of my regular listeners, I know you're going to be surprised by this, but uh, I am hanging out in the Red Panda enclosure with Betsy. So Betsy, tell me a little bit about who you are and um, what you do here. Um, I've been here for about eight and a half years. Um, Started out doing camel rides and some swing keeping. Then I settled into this area and was the primary 
keeper for them for about six years. Um, Red pandas are very close to my heart, something I'm very passionate about. Um, And then I've kind of transitioned into a role where I am um, overseeing our behavioral husbandry program two days a week. Um, So kind of managing our training program, our enrichment program, and um, some of our animal welfare initiatives. And, uh, and then doing a little bit of swing keeping as well. So I still get um, a day or two a week where I am get to be down here and take care of these guys uh, and then work in some other uh, areas with some other animals that I've missed as well. Very cool. And um, when you talk about uh, being in charge of the husbandry, what does that mean for my, for my listeners? So behavioral husbandry kind of encompasses all of uh, those aspects of an animal's welfare outside of just the feeding and cleaning and and medical things. Um, It's looking at their um, behavior and what we can do um, to improve their welfare here. Uh, So our training program is very, very important. We don't train animals to do tricks, um, but we do train them to do things that Um, improve their quality of life, um, help them to participate in their medical care uh, primarily, and um, to help them kind of uh, to just live their best life um, here under um, human care. Um, That also includes our enrichment program, um, which is um, a way that we kind of shake things up for our animals. They are um, in a a kind of static environment. Um, So we want to stimulate all of their senses and give them um, different experiences um, to just kind of make a well-rounded life for them and to bring out some of their natural behaviors and keep them um, happy and well-adjusted. And then it's encompassing um, our animal welfare program right now as well. Um, So really sitting down and digging into um, that overall um, physical well-being, medical well-being, and uh, behavioral well-being. Very cool. And as you were saying that, um, listeners, you may have heard some giggles from both of us, but we have been being stalked by a very ferocious animal. So tell me about who this is. So this is Avi. Avi is a five-year-old panda. Um, I know you've gotten the chance to interact with some cubs recently. Avi was our first cub born at the Chattanooga Zoo. Um, so we have participated in the species survival plan for um, pandas since this exhibit was open many, many years ago. Um, but we didn't have successful breeding until um, until Avi's parents. So he has been here for about five years, and he is very near and dear to our heart. He is gorgeous. Um, So are we dealing with a Fulgens here? Yes. So he and Willa, his mate up there in the corner, sound asleep. She's a a quieter, more lazy panda. Um, They are both Fulgens, um, red pandas. We do also um, have a Styan panda. So... um, We're a little unusual in that we are getting um, to house both subspecies right now. Um, So Bailey is outside in our outdoor exhibit. Um, We are keeping them separated um, uh, for a couple reasons. Um, One, because they are able to interbreed, and though Bailey should be past breeding age, we're still in that kind of gray area where we need to be careful. Um, So they're separated through breeding season, which is typically January to March, but can kind of stretch out, as, especially as uh, climate change impacts us. We're seeing breeding later and later in the season. Um, so she's separated for parts of the year for that reason. Um, and then um, they were together in non-breeding seasons uh, for a short amount of time. 
and had to be separated for a medical reason. And uh, when we put them back together, we realized that that just wasn't a, a good group dynamic anymore. Things had shifted a little bit. Avi had really bonded with Willa. He seemed to be a little protective of this space. Um, Bailey is also a much older panda than these two. Um, she is nine years old. Um, so she's getting up there in what we would consider geriatric age for red pandas, um, exhibiting some of the, the typical things like arthritis. So she has a harder time getting around. Um, and she has cataracts in both eyes as well, which makes her a little vulnerable if a younger panda sneaks up on her. <laughs> You know that they're solitary in the wild, so they're completely happy um, living solo. Um, a lot of times they just tolerate each other um, when they do live in groups. Occasionally they really like each other. Avi and Willa really like each other. Um, Avi's parents really liked each other as well. Bailey's a very content panda being by herself um, as, she, as she would be in the wild. So everyone is happy. He is so cute. <laughs> you know, so always cute. bring those noses real close to your phone when you take pictures. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I'm going to sneak him a little bit of bamboo there. It works. I'm looking for some of that. It's been more into his biscuits than bamboo lately. Huh. So I'm curious. I'm going to go deep into the woods for a second mm -hmm. here, but since they are my favorite, I know a couple things. Yeah. Um, I noticed that you guys are using the bigger leaf eater biscuits, mm -hmm. and I know that um, they're the smaller ones that tend to have more fiber. Uh, is there a reason you choose the bigger ones? Um, no, so a lot of our pandas come in on uh, a Marion brand biscuit, which is a smaller um, red colored biscuit that has a lot of beet pulp. Um, these leaf eater biscuits from uh, Missouri are, um, are higher in fiber, lower in um, the sugars than the Marion biscuits are. Um, so we do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird way to carry that. Huh? <laughs> I'm trying to trying to take a shortcut. Um, so they are they are um, preferred there, and the longer ones are just a really good shape for their paws. Um, so really um, easy for them to hold on to. Um, and we use them for a number of our leaf eating primates as well. Um, so that helps us get some kind of cross cross use out of the larger ones. Sure, makes sense. Very cool. Um, so I got distracted because we were, well, I mean, obviously. Um, but so tell me a little bit about how you got into zookeeping, why you chose this field, sure. and um, what your like initial goals were. Sure. So I came to this field um, a little bit later than a lot of people do. Um, it takes a lot of um, physical energy and um, a lot of passion and a lot of commitment, a lot of drive. Um, often a lot of free hours worked, um, interning and doing volunteer work and that sort of thing. So a lot of people come to it straight out of college. Um, I kind of took the meandering route. I had a couple other careers um, and uh, a couple moves around the country. And I knew that I loved animals. It was always a passion of mine. I started volunteering um, on weekends at an animal sanctuary in California and just thought I will keep that as a weekend thing. Um, but then I kind of started um, realizing that I hadn't found something that I was passionate about that I wanted to do as a, a career, wasn't happy with accounting and that sort of thing. Um, and so I eventually went back to school and got um, a second bachelor's degree in biology and uh, started doing some um, internships um, and uh, volunteer work here. And then, uh, and then ended up getting hired on and, and taking on a few, a few different um, roles here over the years. Very cool. And that's one thing that I love about small zoos is the ability, it seems, to 
uh, try different things and grow mm -hmm. a little bit when you're at one of those. Yeah, absolutely. That's very cool. Uh, so what other animals do you take care of? when uh, you're doing that. And yeah. I know you have those other roles as right, well. Right, right, right. So in this area, um, in addition to the red pandas, we are caring for um, two snow leopards, um, two balimangas, which is a, a small songbird um, with a really cool conservation uh, background. And, um, and then uh, a recent addition to our zoo are the two gibbons. Um, in the past, we have housed um, two different types of langur species. Uh, but we are getting to work with those lesser apes, which is a really a really cool experience. Um, and then some days right now, I'm also getting to work in our deserts area. So getting to work with the meerkats and the sand cats and hyraxes and a lot of those um, really interesting small mammals over there. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so are there any uh, conservation organizations that you'd like to give a plug to or, or talk about? Absolutely. Absolutely. I always point people in the direction of Red Panda Network. Um, they are a wonderful um, boots-on-the-ground conservation organization that works primarily in Nepal, um, but has also branched out a bit to um, India. Um, they are doing fantastic work um, preserving um, the natural habitats of red pandas um, and also working um, with um, people in the country to spread awareness uh, because not a lot of people... Um, have been aware of red pandas in the past. You know, 10 years ago, nobody had heard of a red panda. You had to explain to them that you didn't mean the giant ones, that you there was this other really cool animal out there. Um, and they still see a lot of that there. Um, so just spreading awareness, um, going out and doing um, studies. A lot of the things that we know about red pandas now, we know because they have um, employed um, people in the villages as forest guardians to go out look for signs of them, um, see exactly where they are, how many, um, get numbers and things that way. And then they have some really great community initiatives. Um, they work um, with the villagers to give them um, a stipend for um, doing that um, um, surveying work and then also work with the government on initiatives like replacing wood fire stoves with gas stoves and um, lower um, impact livestock replacing um, the livestock that would uh, eat the um, pandas bamboo, um, work on better housing practices um, so that trees aren't being taken down and kind of um, consult on road projects and things like that that clear a lot of land. Um, I was able to travel with them in 2015. You did an eco-trip? Yes, I did oh, an eco-trip. So One of the first that was geared um, towards zookeepers specifically, okay. but we had a, a couple non-zookeepers on the trip. It was an amazing experience. Um, a lot of intensive hiking um, through the mountains there. We would never in a million years have been able to spot them if we didn't have guides who knew exactly where they were because they're just absolutely blending in to that landscape, right. um, sleeping most of the day up in trees, looking like a big clump of moss um, up there in those really shadowy forests. So did you, did you see? We wow. did. We did. We saw two, oh. um, which of course they don't guarantee you're going to see any, uh, but they have really, really good success with that. Um, a lot of communication over the ground there on, on where they've seen them recently. So we saw two, and then there was a third spotting while we were in the area as well, while we were out doing some bird watching. Um, another, another group got to see a third one. So very successful trip and a, a really wonderful experience. That's amazing. Um, yeah, we talk about Red Panda Network on the podcast a lot. Uh, yeah. Nothing has ever been as thorough, so thank you for going through yeah, all that. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw it, but they are actually starting to uh, work with pangolin uh, pangolins as well. Trying yeah, to say that's pangolins. amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
It's very cool what they're doing. Um, twice now they've actually um, promoted the podcast mm-hmm. uh, because okay. I talk about them a lot. And, yeah. you know, I'm hoping to do an interview with someone from there mm-hmm. directly because they're just amazing. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so to pull me out of my, my panda zone for a minute, tell mm-hmm. me uh, about your birds that you were saying have such a cool story. Yeah, so um, we also work with two um, Valley Mina birds. Um, we have a pair currently, um, and they are from a small island, Bali. Um they were very, very close to being wiped out. Like single digit numbers wow. of, of those birds um, existed uh, primarily because of pet trade and, and um, that drive for people wanting to own them as pets. They're a white bird with a blue neck, very pretty, very pretty song. Um, so there was um, a market for that. So a lot of them were taken out. Um, over the years, there have been um, initiatives to, um, with zoos to put them back into um, their native habitat and reintroduce them. Um, Some in the past weren't very successful, um, but regulations and and good um, government ordinances were put in place to protect them, so their numbers started to rebound. And now um, a few zoos are having um, success with with just kind of participating in um, an initiative to to reintroduce some of those. So um, very cool. I love are better. Nice, good. Yeah. I love I love reintroduction yes. uh, stories. I yes. think that's such a cool idea. I'm also amazed. Uh, I just did an interview yesterday, and I never thought of this before. But um, as good as reintroduction is. Mm-hmm. If we don't also solve the land problems of people stealing mm-hmm. the, uh, the the land that these animals live in, mm-hmm. there's nowhere to reintroduce them to. Absolutely. And I had never thought of that before, and it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though zoos are doing amazing things, we still need awareness, and we right. need people to stop being total jerks when it comes mm-hmm. to animals. Absolutely. Because um, reintroduction alone can't do it if they don't have anywhere to be reintroduced. Right, if there's them. no home to reintroduce them to. Absolutely. And I tell people that red pandas um, could in the future make a decent candidate for that. Not all animals do. Primates, um, big cats, things that need a lot of parental rearing are very, very hard to reintroduce back into the wild because they've become too acclimated to people at that point. Um, Red pandas, being a solitary species, being kind of a shy species, um, no matter how much we acclimate them to people, Avi's going to come down, other pandas are going to come down and look for grapes, (laughs) but they're not anywhere close to being something that you would worry about um, getting too, too close to people. Um, They have a short parental rearing period, um, so babies are going to stay with mom for about 9 to 12 months. Um, they're not a predator, so she's going to teach them how to climb. She's going to teach them how to um, find bamboo, and it's so it's kind of limited. Um, they are something. They they, they are currently doing um, some uh, reintroductions of red pandas in um, India with a couple pair of uh, males and females in some protected forests there. Um, so they do make a good candidate if you can protect some forest, monitor that, make sure it's in a good condition to release them back into. With a little bit of oversight, um, they they do make a good candidate for being able to to reintroduce them. So. That's awesome. Red pandas forever. You guys rock. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Appreciate it. I want
want to thank all of the amazing people at the Chattanooga Zoo for making my trip such an incredible and memorable experience. I actually met and bonded with two additional keepers who I have invited to do Zoom interviews so we can do more of a traditional long-form interview, where we will talk about some amazing desert animals, including fennec foxes, and one of the most famous animals at the Chattanooga Zoo, Betsy the Giant Anteater. Hit up at Chattanooga Zoo on Instagram and chatzoo.org, and that's chat with two T's, to find out more about this incredible institution. Hit that lick now, Cotton Top. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.